0: Amen, hallelujah, the Lamb of God, amen, Amen. praise the Lord. Well, we've been going through this uh, series, Disciple You, a series on discipleship 101, basically, it's uh, just the foundational principles of being a disciple, what does that look like, what does that mean? Uh, We only have this Sunday and next Sunday before we enter into the holiday season, we'll do Thanksgiving and then Christmas uh, through the month of December. But today, we're looking at this topic, as you see in your bulletin, of the conflict. The conflict. Boy, that could be, that just opens up Pandora's box, I not it? it could be just about anything, couldn't it? The conflict. Well, uh, I want to share with you a little bit, um, as we think about this idea of conflict, I had something happen this past week that uh, I thought was a good illustration. We went to, um, H- Angie and Hannah and myself went to Cedarville University, Uh, On left Thursday, visited the campus on uh, Friday, and then returned home last night. And uh, on this campus, Hannah Hannah turns eighteen tomorrow, and uh, she's in her senior year, so she is looking at colleges. We're not real sure what we think about Cedarville because it's eight hours away, so we're not real sure about that. But but it is a great campus. It really is a great school and great campus, a a godly, Christ centered campus. But. We were On the tour, one of the young ladies was telling us about one of the things they do on the campus. Cedarville is known for its school of engineering and its school for nursing. And for engineers, when they arrive on campus as freshmen, the professors will give each of their freshman students in the engineer program a, a roll of paper and duct tape. And their responsibility for, their, for one of the major part of their grades in the first part of that semester is that they have to create a boat. Now, you need to know that on the campus of Cedarville University, there is a lake in the middle of the campus. It's not a pond. It is a lake, all right? It's a good ways across. Uh, and so the job that they have to do is they have to create this boat out of paper and duct tape, but... Their job is to not just create this, but they have to get in the boat and ride this boat that they have created all the way across the lake. And they get a grade for that. So. The young lady who was our tour guide was telling us about this, and she said that when they get to that point in the semester when they're, when they're doing these boats across the lake, that all of the campus comes and gathers around, the, just all the way the perimeter of the lake, and they are cheering them on because they want them to do well. They know that this is their great but she said this. She said, but there is something within each of us that really we just want them to sink because it would be funny to watch. And she said, so we have this conflict in our hearts that, that we want them to get a good grade, but we really want to see them sink, because that'd be fun. This conflict, I thought, what, that is a great illustration how we are torn sometimes, this tension we feel sometimes, and how true that is for us as believers. We have this tension, this inner turmoil. Not to encourage somebody to get across a lake, but we have this turmoil in us to just get through life without sinning. Amen? Because that is the conflict that we face, this conflict of sin in our lives. And this conflict is more than just a conflict. It is a struggle. It is a fight. It is an inner turmoil. It is a tension. It is a war that we face every, every, every day as disciples. It is this tension that we have of this conflict of sin. This conflict is real, and if you really and if you, are, if you don't feel that conflict, then either you're severely backslidden, or you're apathetic to seeking to please the Lord, or you just don't know Jesus as savior. I mean, it's that simple. But this conflict is a spiritual battle in our lives, and it affects us spiritually. It affects us mentally, It affects us emotionally and physically. And so as we look at this, what or who then is our conflict with? Well, let's see. Let's go to the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 as we begin uh, today looking at this conflict. And so in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage to us this morning. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 9. Now the serpent you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one eyes, well, she took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves coverings, and They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to Adam and he said, Where are you? Let's pray. Father, maybe it is today that you are asking that same question of us today. Where are you? God, I pray that we would be open to your Spirit's moving, moving in our lives and in our hearts. To see indeed that this thing called sin causes us to be in conflict with you. There's a conflict within, and there's a conflict with you. And Lord, I pray that you would stir us toward yourself. May you help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear today. Lord, that we be changed by the gospel, changed by your word, and Lord, to understand that there is hope even in the midst of such sin. And Lord, I pray that you would have your way in us. I pray for those who don't know you as Savior, that this would be that moment of salvation where they'd say yes to Jesus. And those of us, Father, who do know you as Savior, that it'd be a time of refreshing and renewal in our hearts as we open up the word of God and remind it again of this thing called sin. And that it is real and that it is serious. God, I pray that you would have your way in all of our hearts. Let uh, there nothing to be to distract us or to keep us from hearing you. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You follow the outline today in the bulletin as we look at this topic of the conflict. And the first thing that we see here is that it is the wicked problem. The wicked problem and the wicked problem is sin. Now understand something that as we think about this, that since we are created in the image of God, all of us, all of humanity is created in the image of God. Since we're created in the image of God, every human being... Has God's moral laws written on our hearts? We know. Listen, we know what is right and we know what is wrong. Now, we may not admit that something is wrong, but deep down, we know when something is not right and when it is wrong. Now, God has given us this thing called a conscience, to which He, to which it helps us to determine what is right. And what is wrong? As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 2, in verse 14 and 15, it tells us here, as Paul is writing, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So we have this conscience within us because we're made in the image of God. But then when we become disciples of Jesus Christ, we not only have this conscience within us, but also we have the Holy Spirit now who lives within us. And the Holy Spirit who is within us spurs us on to living that life that is righteous, that is holy, that is a Christ-like life. And so here's where the conflict comes in in us. Now, we know that we are right as believers, as disciples. We know that we are right before God in that if we were to die at this moment, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that we would spend eternity with Him in heaven. We have His righteousness. We're able to enter into the Holy of Holies, not because of anything that we have done, but what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary, and we've trusted Him by faith. Amen? We have that righteousness because of what Jesus has done. We have the righteousness of Christ. But while we are still living and there's still breath in our bodies, friends, we still have to deal with this thing called sin. While we are living on this earth and in this body, we still have to deal with this thing called sin. And so now as disciples, we are very keenly aware of our sin and we have a genuine desire to do all that is pleasing to jesus christ but sin is a wicked problem can i get a witness to that sin is a wicked problem and it is a problem for the disciple now let's just back up even a little bit further from genesis 3 over into genesis 1 and get a little bit more of background. And we find here that in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, it tells us here that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, here's a beautiful picture of what was taking place in this paradise, in this Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve and God. God made man in his image, and there was this beautiful relationship between God, our Creator, and the first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, the created ones. And there was this, as God walked among them, there was this unbroken fellowship between God and man. It was beautiful. It was all good. And so if you were to just stop in that verse and then jump over into the prophets into Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 9 and 10, we would read these words that says that the heart... Meaning the heart of the person. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? For I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So we go from where man is walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden with unbroken fellowship. And now we find that the prophet is speaking that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And then if you move to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12 and verse 23, the Bible tells us here, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have, all, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one for All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What in the world happened? What happened between this beautiful relationship of God having an unbroken fellowship with man to then having the man having a heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked and now there's none righteous, no, not one, for we're all sinners. What happened? Well, what happened is Genesis chapter 3. That's what happened. Sin came. The serpent tempted Eve. Eve gave to Adam. And sin came into this world. And the world has been changed. Sin, and listen. Sin is still in the world today. It's still in the world. In other words, we are all Sinners. We're born as sinners, living in a sin-sick and a sin-cursed world. I don't have to tell you that, right? You know that as disciples. You know that that's what we deal with. That's what we look at. That's what we see all around us as we see that this is a world that is sick with sin. And it is cursed with sin. This world is still under this curse. And we see the beginning of, beginnings of this sin-sick and sin-cursed world in chapter 3 of Genesis. It tells us here that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So this serpent, who is this fellow? What is it about him here? He says here that he's more cunning. Meaning Cunning means crafty in a bad sense. So who is he? Well, if you go from the beginning of the book to the back of the book, you find in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 that it describes who this serpent is. It tells us here, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So who is this serpent? Well, he is the devil. He is the serpent. He is our enemy as disciples. Friends, he is our adversary. And what did he do? Well, he is the adversary, our enemy. He, he tempted the first pair, Adam and Eve, and they sinned, and sin came into the world. Man had enjoyed this sweet fellowship with his Creator in beauty and in glory and paradise. He had lived in innocence and a continued relationship with God, and now that relationship, now that fellowship is broken because of the sin. Now, why is it that this fellowship is now broken? I mean, God loves Adam, doesn't he? Doesn't he care for him? Couldn't he just sort of like, like look the other way or say, Oh, I understand, this is your first time, you know, so let's just kind of we'll move on and we'll just pick up where we left off. No. Sin is serious in the eyes of God. And sin separates us from holy God. There is this separation. We see that in Genesis 3-9 where God asked the question, to Adam, where are you? Now, did God all of a sudden no longer become omniscient, knowing all things? Knowing, no, I know. he knew exactly where Adam was. But the question was for Adam to understand that now there's a difference. There's a separation. And so today we see that there is still sin. There's still sin. In Romans 5, 12, it says, Just as though one man's sin entered the world, that's through Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. So all people are born with a nature that is bent toward sin. As babies are born, precious little children, you've held, probably held a little baby in your arms and cooed and awed and thought, man, I've got such great aspirations for this little boy this little girl. And you think about how wonderful this is to hold this child. But in reality, this child who is a precious being created in the image of God also has a a bent toward sinning. In other words, as the child gets older, the child does not need to be taught how to misbehave. They know how to misbehave. It comes natural to them. Their natural inclination is not to share, but to say, it's mine, mine, mine. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So every person has a sin nature that comes from Adam and Eve. Every person. Every person. Oh, that's not me, Pastor. I don't have a sin nature. Well, you just lied about it, I'll tell you that. And you, and, and you just showed pride in self, which is rebellion against God, so you just sinned. So, that, that's, that, so you just proved yourself wrong. So what is this sin? What is this sin? Well, and, and we can look in, in the book of Psalms and where David had sinned against Bathsheba and Nathan confronts him about it. David then writes a song of repentance, a confessional psalm. In Psalm 51, verses 1 through 2, we will see in that, those two verses three words that are used for sin. So let's look at those three words. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out, watch this, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So these are three key words here, and let's just dive into them for just a second here. What do these words mean? Well, the word transgression, the word transgressions means a rebellion, a rebellion against God, or a willful deviation from the path of godly living. In other words, it means that you know, according to the Word of God, the way in which you are to go. You know the decision that you are to make. You know the action that you are to take. But you know it, but you don't do what you know to be right. That's a transgression. Or you do what you know is wrong. That's a transgression. It's deviating from the path of godly living. transgression. The second word here is iniquity. It's the deepest, most inward word for sin in the Old Testament, and it means to pervert that which is good or to twist that which is good. In other words, it's seeking, now watch this, it's seeking to justify in your life what God has said is wrong in His Word. It's you wanting to twist or pervert The Word of God, to twist it so that you're trying to make what is wrong, right. And the reason why you want to make something that is wrong, right, is because it suits you to do that. That is iniquity. And then we have the word sin, that just simply means all unrighteousness, all that is wrong, all that is not righteous. God has set a mark of what it is to be holy. And so all unrighteousness is missing God's mark of unholiness, God's God's mark of being holy. So that's what it is, is all unrighteousness. So what we find here as we look at this idea of what is sin, that it is a wicked problem, we can find and know that all sin is serious. There is no small sin, all sin is serious. You say, well, my sin's not that bad. Listen, even a little white lie that you think affects no one, that little white lie sent Jesus to the cross. All sin is serious. For God hates sin. It's an affront to who He is. It's the opposite of who God is and all that He represents as holy, holy, holy. Listen to what John MacArthur says about the seriousness of sin as he spells it out. He says, in Ephesians 4, we find that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, we find that sin dishonors God. In 1 Peter 3, we find that sin keeps your prayers from being answered. In 1 Corinthians 9, we find that sin makes life spiritually powerless. In Jeremiah 5, we find that sin causes good things uh, from God to be withheld. In Psalm 51, we find that sin robs us of the joy of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 3, we find that sin hampers our spiritual growth. In Hebrews 12, we find that sin brings correction... From the Lord, discipline. In, in 2 Timothy 2, we find that sin prevents us from being that useful vessel for the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that sin pollutes Christian fellowship. And 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that sin prevents participating properly in the Lord's Supper. And also in that same chapter, of 1 Corinthians 11, that sin can endanger your life physically and with health. It's so that you struggle with that. Listen, friends. We need to understand that sin is more than doing wrong. It is also not doing what is right. Y'all with me? And Tim Keller says this, that sin is not just doing bad things. It's also taking good things and making them ultimate in your life. Now, come on, Pastor. Sin isn't really that serious, right? Come on. I mean, really, am I really that bad? I mean, look, I'm a good guy. I mind my own business. I don't hurt anybody. I'm really nice. Compared to others, I'm a great person. Well, that reminds me of a story that I once heard about a minister who had a small white Highland Terrier, a little dog, that he was insistent on keeping this dog spotlessly clean. And he did that by frequently washing this dog and brushing this dog and putting powders on this dog so that it is a white dog. And, and one night a winter storm dropped a fresh blanket of snow on the uh, countryside. And the next morning the, world, the whole world seemed to glisten with this blanket of snow and the dazzling sun, sunshine, the morning sun. And as the, the preacher man was standing looking out the window, he's looking out the window and he sees this dog. And it is a drab looking dog that's walking by. And he wondered whose it was, and then he suddenly realized that it was his own well-groomed terrier. It was just as clean as he always had been, but against the the background of the fresh uh, fallen snow, he looked dirty. In much the same way, friends, listen, our corrupt nature is clearly revealed when our lives are measured by the absolute standard of divine holiness. We might try to... To compare ourselves to other people and feel good about ourselves but when we answer to God we're not answering about how we fared when we compared ourselves to other people we're answering how we fare when we compare ourselves to him he is the standard not the person down the street not the person in the pew next to you he is the standard and he is all holiness and we are not we are sinners in need of a savior and sin is serious. But wait a minute, Pastor. Well, look, all this talk of sin. Look, I got things I got to do. Just look, let's cut to the chase. Why can't I just live my life the way I want to? So what if I sin? I, I just don't see the big deal. Well, that's a good question. But here's the thing. It is a big deal because sin will destroy you. Sin will destroy you, and this is part of the conflict we want to do we want to do what we want to do, and we have an adversary who wants to fail, wants us to fail, and wants us to be destroyed as a matter of fact, in First Peter chapter five and verse eight, it says, Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a little puppy dog, wanting to lick your face. no that's not what it says it says it. The devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is out to destroy you with sin. He wants you to sin, which leads to destruction. And so we see this wicked problem is sin. But also, secondly, we see not only the wicked problem is sin, but we also see the wicked practices, which are his schemes. The wicked practices of schemes. Now God and now listen, God had placed the man Adam in the garden to tend and to keep the garden. It was a wonderful paradise, as we said, but the Lord had said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17, "Before Satan tempted Adam and Eve, God had said to Adam in chapter two, verse 16 and 17. He said, "Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat." For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so we see then Satan comes in with his schemes. As we read here just a minute ago, and we see that he has these schemes that he gives, that he throws out here to tempt uh, Eve here. And the first scheme that we see here, which is a temptation, which is a scheme, which is a a way in which he's trying to uh, cause her to fall... He says in verse 1, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, he is casting doubt about the word of God. Did God really say that? Has God really said that you shall not eat of every tree? She's causing us to doubt, causing her to doubt what God said. The second thing here, the scheme that he uses is he, he uh, we see it in verses 4 and 5, where the serpent said to the woman, now you, look, you will not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what he's doing here is that he is denying the word of God. He's basically saying, look, God said this, but he didn't really mean it. So he's saying that God is a liar. Denying the word of God. And then in verse 6, we find that it tells here, the woman saw the tree was good for food, is pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. And we find that she, here he, he tempts her to disregard the word of God so that she throws what God has set aside and sees that the tree, hey, you know what, you're right. It does look good. It, it is pleasant to my eyes. And, and it would be good for me to make, to make me wise. This is a good thing for me. So it caused her to disregard and to delineate and move away from what God had said and think more about herself. And then she disobeys the Word of God. says that she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, and he ate as well. So the conflict, the schemes here that the devil used against Eve and Adam in the Scripture, beloved, let me tell you something. The devil hadn't changed his, t- his way of doing things. His schemes are still the same thing. He continues to do the very same schemes as then. And these wicked practices are still the same by the same wicked powers. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 11 and 12 tells us, That we are to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the the temptations or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers and darkness of this age of spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the devil uses the same tricks, the same wiles, the same temptations, the same schemes. He lures us into doubting the word of God. When we are tempted, we think in our minds, "Does, does God really say that I shouldn't do that? I mean, this was written a long time ago. Did he really mean this? So we doubt the Word of God. And then he entices us to deny the Word of God. Oh, I know that God said I'm not supposed to do this. But you know, it's not really that bad because after all, everybody's doing this. We deny the Word of God. He tempts us to deny the Word of God. And then he tempts us to disregard the Word of God. Even though we know, okay, this is what the Bible says. But you know what? God didn't make me like that. He knows who I am. As a matter of fact, this is going to help me. I need this. And after all, God wants me to be what? Happy. Hmm. And so we disregard what God has said. And the goal, his goal for us, the Satan's goal for us, is then to disobey the Word of God. Meaning, I know what God's Word says, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. You see, friends, God has set before us his word for a reason. It's because he wants what's best for us. He desires what's best for us. He, co- he demands what is best for us. He commands what is best for us and knows what's best for us. He calls us out to be holy as he is holy, and sin conflicts with his holiness. And when we sin, we find ourselves in conflict with one, the one true living holy God. These are wicked practices or schemes of the devil to cause us to be destroyed. Oh, come on now, preacher. You done gone too far now. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm not going to be destroyed. If I do this one little thing, this one little sin, I'm already a Christian. Look, I got my insurance. I framed my baptism certificate. I'm good to go. How could I be destroyed? What's the worst that could happen? Well, that's a question that the devil would love for you to keep asking. In verse 7 and 8, we find what could happen. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Hmm. What we find here is that there was shame because of their sin. They're shamed here. They tried to cover up their negatives. They heard that they hid themselves when they heard God approaching. And when we sin, friends, when we sin, we we have this conflict. There's this inner turmoil, and we wonder, okay, I hope did anybody see that? Have I gotten caught here? Uh, I'm going to hide this by doing this or doing that. And then when sin is found out, there is shame. There's shame that comes before others. There's shame that comes before other people. There's shame before God. And as disciples, there's this keen sense of shame and guilt before the Lord. And some people today, I believe we live in a culture that there is, there is no shame in sin any longer. A lot of times we see people say, look, I don't care that it's wrong. I'm going, This is what I feel. This is what I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter to me whether you like it or whether you don't. And so you look at them and say, well, there's no shame in their sin. There's no shame in sin for them. Oh, beloved, let me tell you something. They may not be experiencing shame right now, but there will come a day when they will experience shame before a holy God. Shame comes when we sin. Not only shame, but there's also this separation. We mentioned it a minute ago in verse 9, where we find that Adam and Eve and Adam are hiding themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord God calls to Adam and says, where are you? There is that separation between mankind and God. As a child of God, when we sin against God, when we make the wrong choices, and we have that turmoil, and we go in the wrong direction, we sin against God. Therein, there is that we, loss of intimacy with God. Because as Isaiah 59-2 tells us, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. You see, friends, we're tempted to give in to sin, and we are in conflict. We, we sense the temptation, those same old schemes of the devil, and we feel the conflict within us that we, we know we're not supposed to go in that direction. Oh, but we have this conflict how we want to give in to that sin because it is so enticing. You see, friends, listen, the devil can make that sin look so very welcoming, so very enticing, so wonderful, and so right, but I'm here to tell you that it is a lie. It's a lie. His desire is not to help you, his desire is to mar and scar you, to tarnish and terrorize you, to disarm and disfigure the image of God in you, and to destroy you and demolish your witness, your character, and your testimony. That's his desire. He can't have your soul, but he can sure mess you up while you're here today, and mess up your witness and your testimony. Amen. Y'all with me this morning? We have an enemy who seeks to put us in conflict with our God and Savior through sin. And here's what we know: as we look at Genesis three, we see the fall of man into sin, and they tried to cover their guilt with the works of their hands as they sewed fig leaves together, as we saw in verse seven. But what we also know is that that was inadequate. And so God, gracious, compassionate, loving God, in verse 21 tells us, as, as he finished doling out the consequences, it tells as also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And so what we find here is that an animal died. There was blood that was shed because the works of their own hands was not adequate, were not, was not adequate to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. And so this is the first blood that was shed For their sin. It is a foreshadowing. Of what would ultimately take place. On the cross of Calvary. Y'all with me? It is pointing to the cross of Calvary. That Jesus would give his life on Calvary's cross. To pay for our sin. At the cross of Calvary. Listen. At Jesus went to the cross. He was perfect. He did not deserve to die. He took our penalty there. When he took our penalty. He also destroyed the power of sin. And he defeated Satan at the cross of Calvary. So sin has been destroyed because of the cross. Satan has been defeated because of the cross. And I don't know about you, but I say hallelujah and thank you Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord for what he has done. And so if that is the case, and we know that it is true, if sin has been, the sin's power has been destroyed and Satan has been defeated... Why in the world do we still sin? Why do we still give in? Why do we still do these things? And we find it's because, thirdly, of the wicked person, the self. You see, even though sin and Satan have been defeated, we too often sin because we choose to. Sin has no power. Satan has been defeated. But we are still tempted, and we choose to. Listen to how Paul says it. In Romans 7, 18 through 20 in the ESV, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I... What I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You can sense that conflict. The things that I know that I'm supposed to do, I'm not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I keep doing them. It's a conflict. It's this inner turmoil. And we all know, listen, we all know what he's talking about, right? We all have that conflict, don't we? All that inner turmoil, we know... Somebody says something, and all oh, the conflict is, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to say anything. I'm, And then all of a sudden, there it is. You don't have to bear witness to that right now, amen? <laughs> I'm going to try to keep my calm. I'm going to try to keep my cool. I'm not going to lose my temper. And then it just, they just keep pushing those hot buttons. They keep pushing that button. They keep pushing. All of a sudden, you flare up, and there it goes. You know there's this inner turmoil, but then it gives way. I know I'm not supposed to look at that. I know I'm not supposed to look at that. And then all of a sudden, something flashes on your screen, and there it is. And you're hooked, and you're back in. I know I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. And then we give in to Satan's temptations. Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So even though, listen, even though we have been redeemed as disciples and will stand before Christ clean and pure, we still struggle every single day with the conflict of the flesh and the Spirit. We constantly have this battle to try to defeat the sin in our lives, or to overcome the sin in our lives. I so was thinking about it coming to church this morning and looking at people's yards. You know what I see on a whole lot of people's yards this morning? It's the leaves. You know you, you, you know how this is when you will spend all day on Saturday with your rake and your air blower and your tarp or whatever you've got, and you work and you work and you get all the leaves and you, you're just excited because, man, you have got, the leaves are gone. And then as you turn to walk in your house and you are whipped, you are tired, you are wore out from raking them leaves. In the corner of your eye, you see something fall from the tree. And there it is. And it has begun. And within another day or two, you have all those leaves again. It's a constant battle, isn't it? It just seems to never end during this season. And brothers and sisters, as we're in this season called life, with health in our bodies, with with breath in our lungs, as long as we're living on this side of earth, that season is going to be a constant battle of fighting against sin in our lives. All the time. It's always there. We always have it. Joseph Stoll says it this way. He says, when a person is converted... The sin nature does not disappear. And so the internal conflict begins in the life of every believer. Christians engaged in this battle have a true desire. Watch this. We all have a true desire to avoid sin. But we also have a natural desire to indulge the flesh. And so we become frustrated when we find ourselves doing what we don't want to do. And to further complicate matters, Christians not only don't want to sin, they hate sin and yet we still sin that's what paul is talking about here in romans 7 and so he ultimately cries out these words in romans chapter 7 verse 24 where he says what a wretched man i am i want to get don't want to give in to this sin but i keep giving in i keep giving over and so this is the case for each of us oh the conflict that we all face daily So how can we overcome sin? How can we overcome this that we battle every day? Well, I'll tell you how. We're going to look at it next week, amen? We're going to look at it next week on how to overcome and to conquer sin. But this is what we can know today. You want to know something good today, amen? Come on now. You want to know something good today? Paul looks at his life and he sees that which he is struggling, this inner turmoil, this sin that so besets him, this sin that he constantly gives into, this sin that things that he, he wants to do but he doesn't do, or he's not supposed to do but he does anyway, all these things that just like all of us, we fight this turmoil, we have this conflict. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, in verse 24. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord brothers and sisters yes we are all sinners and we need a savior and praise the God We praise to the Lord we have a God who saves thank you Lord for the cross amen thank you for the cross we have the cross behind us we have the hope before us and we have the spirit in us and one day One day, friends, when this season is over, when we see Jesus face-to-face, there will be this battle, this conflict will end, and it will end with a shout of victory. All right, class, here's your assignments. Know, be, and do. You need to know that sin is real, and Satan desires to destroy you as a disciple one thing you need to take away from that, that's what you need to keep in your mind that sin is real and Satan desires to destroy you as a disciple. Don't give in to him. What do you need to be? You need to be diligent to watch out for the devil's schemes and the old nature's desires. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be diligent to watch out for his schemes. We know what he does. See them for what they are. And the old nature's desires. And then do. Rejoice in the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. And this isn't up there. But I'll add this as another part of do. And then come back next week to learn more about how to overcome. Amen. Do that as well. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you for your compassion and your love for us, that which was seen in the garden when the tunics were given to Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. It foreshadowed what you would do for us by your blood being shed for us on a cruel cross for our salvation, not to cover our sin, but to cleanse us of our sin. Lord, you and you alone can make us clean. And we praise you for that. If there are those here today that don't know the cleanness of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of our sin, to be cleansed of the bondage, to be cleansed of that which has enslaved us, Lord, I pray that they would acknowledge that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, turning from sin and turning to Jesus in humble repentance, embracing, believing with all of our heart that you, Jesus, are the Son of God who died for us on the cross, who rose again and professing you as the Lord and Savior of our life. It is a step of faith those here today who've never taken that step I pray Lord that this would be that moment of salvation where they say yes I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life I'm tired of fighting sin I want him to have the power over me so Lord I pray that you would have your way in hearts and lives and if there are those of us today who, who are your children who are your disciples who are constantly battling this sin and we constantly find ourselves on the losing end Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our lives to spur us on by the Spirit that's within us to live that life of holiness and that we would yield ourselves afresh and new today as we say, Lord, have your way in me. And that you would not be asking of us, Where are you? God, I pray that we, you'll know exactly where we are and I walk with you, and it's a close walk. So, Lord, as we come out of this invitation, May we recommit our lives to you. May we surrender afresh to you. May you have your way in all of our hearts and all of our lives. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. You come. as God's dealt with your heart.